0: Hello there. This is an incoming transmission from Obi-Wan Kenobi. Welcome to the Credible Nerds podcast with Mark and Justin. This is the podcast you're looking for. Don't go about your business. Stay here. Well, go about your business and listen. And then you can move
1: along. Move along. And may the Force be with you. Always. Welcome to the Credible Nerds Podcast. My name is Justin, and today we'll be talking about The Mandalorian Season 1. We'll be doing a review of Chapter 3 called The Sin. And this episode was written by the man himself, John Favreau, who's kind of a, He's in charge of the, uh, the series. He's one of the executive producers, so he's able to write and even direct a couple episodes. But this episode was directed by deborah chow and from what i understand she's at least at this time she's going to be directing some of the upcoming episodes of the obi-wan kenobi series so she's kind of making her way into this star wars uh, disney plus arena so i thought this episode was pretty good by her so that's good news that she's going to continue to uh direct more episodes of Star Wars shows. So uh we'll talk about this episode, The Sin, and we have some help with some fellow bounty hunters, some fellow Mandalorians that we've invited onto the show. We have our returning guest host, Nathan Carlson. Hello everyone and Blake Williams. Hey everyone. So uh, welcome to the show, guys. Uh, we've done two previous chapters, uh, chapter one and chapter two. So we'll be finishing out uh, the full eight chapters at some point, hopefully before season two starts. But uh, we'll we'll finish out this season one and then go from there. But um, So welcome back to the show. Glad to have you guys. Good to be here. Oh, thank
2: you.
1: So we've all recently rewatched this episode in preparation for the uh, recording this episode how was it sitting down i think we all watched it together back in uh november of last year so it's been almost a year how was it uh sitting down and revisiting the show was it still entertaining almost a year later was it interesting kind of your overall take on it what do you think blake
0: yeah no still still had me going in fact i've watched it I think I watched it again uh, uh, about three or four weeks ago as well. So, still entertaining, kind of interesting. After watching the, the subsequent episodes, going back to this one and and uh, having seen where some of this where the story goes, uh, coming back and watching this episode, it it was fun to uh, to do that again. So,
1: yeah.
2: What about for you, Nate? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I I watched it like. Like Blake uh, a couple months ago, and then I watched again today, uh, and uh, you know, out of out of the episodes up until this point, this one had a lot of action, had a lot of uh, it was quick paced, and uh, it was exciting, and uh, you kind of get a little more deeper into the world and the universe at this present moment, learning a little bit more about uh, the child and and. Uh, there's some Easter eggs in here, and yeah, it was a great episode.
1: Yeah, that was my impression as well. It's good to, to revisit. I think the rewatchability of this show is pretty high, uh, from the at least from these first three episodes. Uh, there's a couple episodes later that I'm curious to see how it'll be a year later. Some of my least favorite episodes uh, later on in this season, but we'll talk about that later. But for the for now, this this uh, chapter really good to rewatch it especially in preparation for the next season. So uh, when we last left our hero, the Mandalorian, he had gone to this new planet to search out this bounty for what we end up finding out is Baby Yoda, the child. Uh, For you guys, do you prefer Baby Yoda or the child? Which, Which one is it for you guys? So
0: I prefer the child, but I always say Baby Yoda.
1: And, you know, I guess that's just how it goes.
2: All right. Yeah, I'm the same. I I, I think to call it Baby Yoda, of course, kind of, is it's obviously inaccurate and uh, kind of throws you everything off. Uh, but you can't help say Baby Yoda because he's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> and saying the child <laughs> just doesn't sound right. Yeah, it's too generic. Yeah,
1: too generic. Yeah. So uh, Mando finds Baby Yoda ends up bringing him back to the planet where he uh, got the bounty from where the, the the Bounty Hunters Guild, I guess, this chapter was located. So he's bringing it back to collect his money. And that's where this episode starts out. So they're in the spaceship they're flying back. Uh, Mando gets a, a hologram Message from Grief Karga, who's the guy in charge of of this bounty, and tells him, you know, just take him directly to the client. You know, they'll take care of him. We don't know what he's gonna do. Which is kind of the theme. One of the themes of this episode is who knows what's gonna happen to Baby Yoda. Is he gonna get killed? Is he gonna um, be taken alive and doing whatever they're gonna do with it? So. He's like, okay, I'll take him. So he lands, and this part was pretty cool in the sense that he lands at the village where we started out from, and he's walking through the streets, and it has that uh, old original trilogy feel to it where you got all the different characters, creatures, uh, old buildings, and you got some astromech droids rolling around the, the town there. So it's got that really... Um, 1970s Star Wars vibe to it, which is which is really great. And so he's walking through Baby Yoda's looking at everything. They arrive to the the client's headquarters and two stormtroopers come out. one thing I noticed in this rewatch was when the stormtroopers came out, um, Baby Yoda looks at them and he gets this like angry expression on his face like, oh, I remember those guys. And then he looks up at Mando and he's like, wait, you're going to give me to those guys, right? That's where this is going. So that's what I noticed anyways. Whether it's true or not, that's what I took from it. So he's able to, from there, they go in, they meet the client. And he's the guy that's, you know, bounty hunting is a complicated profession. He's got that distinguished voice, distinguished presence. And we never learn his name. He's just the client throughout the whole series. So we have the child. We have the client. And then in this episode, we're introduced to the scientist. So a lot of generic names, which is fine. I think um, we don't need to get bogged down in those details necessarily. I I did have a thought at this
2: part of the show where I was kind of, that I didn't think before. And that was uh, regarding the stormtroopers. You know, in the past, especially in the original trilogy, we didn't ever really get a lot of dialogue from the stormtroopers, and it right. it seemed pretty canned. And uh, when when the Mandalorian is taking uh, the child down the hall, and the one stormtrooper reaches over and grabs the the uh, the floating stroller, so to speak, you know, he's like, "Hey, watch it there." Uh, you know, be careful with that. And he's like, you be careful with that. And anyways, it it didn't sound, you know, it, I, I got the, the thought or the impression. I'm like, that doesn't sound like a stormtrooper. That sounds, you know, stormtroopers were really militant and really, like, structured. And and it really didn't, probably didn't feel like they had a voice. Um, and uh, we're just kind of like, and, and I, the thought that occurred to me is, I wonder, as a result of the fall of the Empire, you know, and, and we've seen in scenes and or at least commercials of pictures of like uh, stormtrooper helmets like on pike poles just stuck on there. And, and I just wondered, I thought to myself, you know, I wonder if some of these stormtroopers were even stormtroopers or they were just kind of like thugs who just found a dead stormtrooper and just picked up their armor and are like just, hey, I got me some. I got some some stormtrooper armor, and they're just kind of like walking around, because they look pretty dirty. They look pretty, you know, battle worn. So there's a part of me that wondered if some of these guys are not necessarily professional soldiers like stormtroopers, but rather just bou- like bounty hunters or other types of just thugs who just came across a dead stormtrooper and just stole his armor.
1: Maybe they they joined after the fact. You know, this is I think. I can't remember if it's five years or seven years after Return of the Jedi, so maybe they're newer like recruits or something like that. Yeah.
0: Kind of things have kind of unraveled at that point, so maybe either attitude or organization or or whatever, maybe a lot of those things have changed since uh, since the Empire's downfall. Yeah.
1: All right and they you know their armor is all scuffed up and dirty when typically in the past it was clean they would if it got dirty they'd clean it cuz they were you know part of this big organization but now it's from what i understand the the empire is obviously just you know no longer an organization there's all these splinter cells at least that's the impression i get so they're not as organized they don't clean their armor. They talk back to people. So things have gone downhill. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, um, so they take baby Yoda in to see the client and he's excited. The sci- we're introduced to the scientist again. He comes in and they look at him, they test him and he's like, oh, he's perfectly healthy. And they're all excited about that. And so then we're introduced to um, the Camtono, And so the Camtono is that container that has all the Beskar plates in it. And that's one uh, Star Wars trivia nugget is we first saw this in uh, Empire Strikes Back on Cloud City. There's a brief moment where you see this guy in an orange jumpsuit running through Cloud City with what looks like an old... 1980s 70s ice cream maker machine and so the fans after you know we have watched that movie many times and people have noticed it and like what's that guy do running around with an ice cream maker and people have theorized and speculated what what is that thing so finally uh Dave Filoni and John Favreau have clarified that for us it's like a, a safe or you know something you carry valuables in so
2: yeah, a great little Easter egg and yeah. nod to the, to the, uh, the Empire Strikes Back movie, yeah. and uh, I know a lot of cosplayers who love to dress up as that character
1: yeah.
2: and uh, and run around with their ice cream makers at at Star Wars uh, conventions. So yeah, yeah, that was a great little scene. Yeah,
0: it would be cool if it also was an ice cream maker though. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, it was the one in Empire Strikes Back, and I think it was an
1: actual ice cream maker, or I don't know, was it? Well, the the prop was, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. The real or in-world use, uh, I don't know. I yeah, it, but, now it's yeah. a safe. Uh, but a safe that's also an ice cream maker, like Blake said, uh, definitely. That's <laughs> it's a great I product. keep all
2: my ice cream in a safe, so. <laughs> yeah,
1: got to hide it from the kids, man.
2: Got
1: to
0: hide it from the After kids. After all that trouble making it,
1: yeah, yeah. you got to keep it safe. <laughs> so they named a, a Camtono, which is, yeah, another word, new word as well, another Star Wars word. So he gets that full of Beskar, and he asks him, you know, what are your what are your plans for it? What are you gonna do with this creature? And the client the client is offended. And he's like, wait. You know, you guys don't ask those type of questions. You just do the job, you know, what are you doing? And so he kinda got mad at him and Mando takes off. So Mando leaves the the client and he goes to the Mandalorian hideout and we see the multiple Mandalorians walking around again in their armor and he goes back to the armorer and he shows shows her the best car. This you know, all these different um plates or bars of Beskar and she's like amazed by that. She's like, wow, that's a lot. And so they talk about how they're going to make him a complete set of armor out of this Beskar when before they had just made, uh, I think it was a, sh- some sort of plate on his, was it on his leg? So shoulder, Should- oh, his shoulder. shoulder, the shoulder pauldron. Yep, yeah. Okay. Yep. So they, first they had just made that small piece, but now he's going to get the full armor set. So, And this is where all these other Mandalorians that were in there, they come walking in and like, hey, what's going on? Where'd you get all this money, basically? And we have the big Mandalorian show up and um, he grabs one of the bars and he's like, you know, hey, this these were made in Imperial forges and are the spoils of the Great Purge, which is kind of what we see in those flashbacks, I'm assuming but, you know, so that's why the Mandalorians are in hiding because of this great purge. And now this guy shows up with all the the loot that was stolen from him. So he wants a piece of it.
2: Yeah, that was an interesting scene, um, you know, and subsequent, you know, they have a knife, they have a fight, they kind of have a battle. Um, one of the things that I, I picked up on during that scene is is you know, they mentioned that, you know, we have to live in hiding in this, in the, in this coven or covert. And, uh, and it's, and, uh, I believe that the big Mandalorian says, you know, this is why, you know, we can only go up or show ourselves like one at a time and live like rats, which, you know, some information there that you may or may, we may, as a viewer, we may not have been aware of it. And, you know, why, why are they doing that? Is it, is it to hide their numbers? Is it to uh, kind of, because they feel, why do, why do they feel threatened? Because the Mandalorian, he, he can go up and walk around, and he doesn't get automatically attacked. Um, so why, why the need to feel like they have to live in hiding? I'm not quite sure, because yeah. it isn't just for the, because they obviously can go out, but obviously they feel like a need to hide their numbers, I would imagine. So they they don't want people to think that they're growing again and kind of becoming a, a force to be reckoned with, uh, but that that's just conjecture on my part.
0: Well, and it's interesting because this, that piece of it, and then getting ahead of it a little bit at the end, they talk a little bit about the recovery. And uh, you know, I think when when uh, when the Mandalorian talking of grief they talk a little bit about, hey, call the Republic, you know, report report this little stack to the Republic and have them go in and then kind of talk the that to so, well, you know, that's what the Republic is for? And so I kind of...
1: Yeah, there's a lot of good information in this short, you know, five, seven minute scene. Um, Back to your point, uh, Nate, where the armor says our secrecy is our survival and then our survival is our strength. And then that's, they all say, this is the way, you know, they all chant that. So that's kind of their code of conduct. It seems like, you know, keep ourselves secret. That's how we survive. That's something that I hope we do see later on Uh, one thing that i thought was interesting was during you know you mentioned that they fight they have these knives and they knives and they pull them out and start fighting with each other but uh, there's this point where they just stop and you see the knives kind of vibrating like they they want to you know move forward and stab the guy but they can't like they're being held back by something they were just frozen there so and i couldn't figure it out I, I did, remember I would noticed it before, but just kind of went on with the story. But this time I was like, well, why, why can't they do anything with those knives? Why are they just, it's like they were magnetically stopped or something. And I guess it had something to do with the armor, because she was the one controlling the whole situation and didn't want them to kill each other. So I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Did you notice or have you read anything about that?
2: I, I didn't. I actually did not pick up on that. Um, I, I know from from a little bit of reading that 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 those blades are vibro blades, okay. um, but um, but I I didn't think that there was a, a another force, whether seen or unseen, that was preventing them from you know committing to hitting each other i, I just thought that was something they kind of like you know their fellow mandos and they're like I, hey i you know they they just both of them stop short mm-hmm. of of the kill shot you know ultimately because you know what it doesn't do us any good to to fight amongst ourselves and and i accounted the the vibration to being what i believe was Has been talked about in the past, and that was the vibro blade, which I don't think has ever been seen in a movie. But I know it was that is a weapon that's part of canon, I believe. Yeah, but I'm I'm not one hundred
1: percent sure. I know the vibro blades are in the video games and some of the books, even. But yeah, maybe I just saw read it wrong or reading too much into it. That, like you said, they did stop themselves short of actually hurting the other person but to me at least this viewing kind of looked like they were stopped by something but I don't know could be wrong you're wrong you don't know what you're talking (laughs) about cancel the podcast I don't know what I'm talking about (laughs) yeah alright oh and then also we're introduced to the concept of not removing your helmet uh their armor asks the mandalorian you know have you ever removed your helmet or has it ever been removed by someone else and he says no and then uh, she says well this is the way and then they all repeat this is the way so another concept of mandalorian cultures you don't take off your helmet and that's explored further on in uh, future episodes but um Something we never really knew about. And my my perception is the armor is the leader of this coven. She seems to be the one calling the shots, the one the one in charge. Yeah, they definitely seem to um,
2: be a a, a a leaderless covert, but they obviously. Um the 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 blacksmith definitely has a role where they respect her and look to her as uh, in, in that as a leader um whether it's official or not I don't know mm-hmm. but she seems to be the one that they look to as a leader
1: and another concept is they they decide to save some of the Beskar for the foundlings, and that the foundlings are the future. so that's another we don't know much about them other than Mandalorian was a foundling and I, it sounds like you know these kids were adopted into this Mandalorian group, so they're foundlings, and then they're raised up in the in the way and become future Mandalorians so. So the armor starts to forge the armor. Uh, she asks him about, you know, do you need it? You have a signet, the mud horn. And he declines for that to be his signet because he didn't defeat the mud horn by himself. He says his an enemy helped him. And he didn't know that he was his enemy, but the enemy helped him so he can't claim victory. He can't claim this signet just yet. So, um then he also they also talk about forging whistling birds which is one of the weapons so and then while the armor is forging the armor we see more flashbacks that kind of expounds upon what we saw in earlier episodes where the separatists were attacking his village and then his parents end up getting killed and we full-on see one of those super battle droids from the prequels you know rips open the the hiding spot door of where he's at and aims his weapon and looks like he's going to shoot him so i thought that was a good flashback way to tie in uh, the prequels Uh, we've seen things where the original trilogy trilogy is tied into this show and we're also seeing things that's you know from episodes one two and three that are being tied into um, this show so i think that's a great concept that they're introducing there
0: well and it was you know this was an interesting episode because it's I mean, it's it's a pretty deep episode where it really explores the Mandalorian as who he is, what he stands for, and and kind of that uh, you know that I guess inner struggle that he has with how he handles this whole situation. He's kind of got the the code of the bounty hunter. He's got the code of the Mandalorian, uh, and then also as kind of his history as an orphan and these flashbacks, I think it kind
1: of adds to that, that, that struggle that he has in this episode where, this chapter where he's to find out. He's got a lot of things he's got to balance and figure out where he stands on those, those different issues that you brought up. So we'll get back to that later. When he does have to make those hard decisions. So Mando, he ends up, he gets his armor, he goes back to the cantina, meets up with Grief Karga again. And this was part. This part was kind of cool. You know, he shows up, he's all leveled up in his Beskar armor. And it's all shiny. And everyone's looking at him. and They're like, oh, it's him. He's the one that, you know, pulled off that job and got paid. So they're all jealous of him. He's looking nice. Sits down to meet with Grief Carga, and he's like, okay, I want another job. What's next? (laughs) So, you know, it's back to business for him. And one thing we learn in this situation is uh, he does ask him, how many other fobs did you give out? You know, how many other bounty hunters were involved looking for Yoda? And I believe we talked about this in a previous episode. Um, You know, how many others had it in this fob? And um, Grief says they all did. Everyone in this bar had one and had the chance to go track down Baby Yoda and, and bring him in, but he did it. He was the one that was successful. So, And then he also shows Mando, he pulls out his, you know, he says, hey, I got paid too. And he pulls out his two or three bars of best car and puts it back in his jacket pocket. So, And then again, Mando asks Grief Karga, you know, what are they going to do with the child? You know, he's So Mando, he's still thinking about it. He's still wondering, you know, hey, is this, did I do the right thing? He's got that inner dilemma going on. He's worried about it. And Grief just blows it off. He says, yeah, hey, don't worry about it. They're going to do what they're going to do. That's not your concern. You know, you need to, you know, do your job and then move on to the next one. So that's what he does. He takes the chip, the puck. He's going back to I think they said the ocean dunes of Karnak, and the the bounty was a uh, one of those Admiral Akbar characters, one of those I forget the race the what's it called? Fish face. Fish face. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Yeah, it'll come to me in about two minutes. But yeah, it's one of those guys. We'll look it up. Yeah. So he's headed out, he get back. He gets back in his ship, he's getting ready to take off, fires up his engines, I and mean, he sees that control knob that Baby Yoda was playing with in the very first couple minutes, he looks at it, and he's like, oh man, this little kid, you know, he's got my heart, or he's, you know, something about him, so he puts it back on, and he's like, okay, I gotta do something about this. So he shuts the ship down, heads straight back to the client's headquarters, and, um, he comes up with this plan to figure out how to break him out basically and we do see that he he uses his scope to, to listen in and find out uh, he sees the client and the scientist talking about something and they say you know we got to extract the material quickly um, And the scientist is like no we got to take him back alive that's what the deal was so they're arguing about that and so uh mando feels like well i gotta do something because they're probably going to kill him so that's he comes up with this plan where he creates a distraction in the front and then goes around back and blows up a hole into the wall and starts going in and um, fighting multiple stormtroopers you know to get to to baby yoda Um, here we see mando use his multiple weapons he's got a blaster he's got the cable that shoots out of his wrist and then he's got a flamethrower so he's pretty well equipped um how was it for you guys seeing the you know mandalorian in action against these stormtroopers what do you think blake
0: that was cool i mean he cleaned alice right and uh he yeah he had all sorts of different weapons uh obviously but i guess um and then you know, finally, I think at the very end, he after, well, not at the end, but there in the middle, when he pulls out that flamethrower and just torches that swarm trooper. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. He, yeah. yeah, he he knows how to take care of himself.
2: Yeah, I was actually a little shocked how how brutal, how uh, how uh, merciless he was. I mean, he grabs the one guy with the cable and pulls him back and stabs him in the back with his blade and barbecues the other guy. He was he wasn't holding any punches. Yeah. I was like whoa. Well,
0: you you <laughs> think about going back to what we were talking about earlier, you think about the, the interactions with the stormtroopers in, in the first trilogy, you know, and, and uh, how those battles were. Usually they were about, you know, thirty feet apart and a stormtrooper get blasted in the chest and fall down. Yeah. steps without the match.
3: Yeah.
2: Now, and, and there, there's probably some backstory there, too, to, to some of that emotion, right, because of the, the Separatists, which I guess the Separatists was essentially the, the, you know, the clone army was created to fight the Separatists, correct, yeah, Justin? Yeah, the droid army, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the clones were created to fight the Separatists, which were the droid army, but ultimately... You know, we know there was a, a bigger, darker uh, secret to the creation of of the clone army. So it makes you wonder why he is so, you know, if, if there's any history there because he did not hold any punches. And uh, and that one guy that he did, there was one, there was one part of that that sequence where he knocked a guy down on the ground and he was just laying there and he pulled out his blaster and just shot him while he was down on the ground. <laughs> And then you're like, wow, he's he means business. He's there to clean house. So yeah, it was. I enjoyed it. I appreciated it, and uh, it kind of brought us back to the first episode where we saw some of his fighting skills, uh, because in the previous episode, you know, they kind of he kind of got beat up by that mudhorn a little bit, and the Jawas, he struggled a little bit with those guys, uh, getting into the. Uh, Getting into their uh, their vehicle, but uh, yeah, it was it was fun to see him uh, kick some butt there. To see him use, when he was surrounded at the end by the four, to see him use uh, the uh, the warbirds, was it? The whistling birds. The whistling birds, yeah, because you're like, what? That doesn't sound very threatening. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, here comes the whistling birds, look out.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so that was a cool weapon we hadn't really seen before. Right? Yeah. You know all these little darts just spread out and find the nearest target and take them down that was pretty cool so and it's interesting because you know back in back in the day 1978 or whatever uh you know boba fett was originally the first mandalorian at least back then and he started out as a super stormtrooper you know he was like an elite stormtrooper initially And so to see, and he had basically the same armor design. So it's cool to see that, you know, this super stormtrooper take down these other stormtroopers. So I thought that was a a cool moment. Because you don't really see Boba Fett or Jango Fett fighting clone troopers or stormtroopers at any point. So this is pretty much the first time we see that image, that imagery. Yeah. Yeah. so so he takes down all the stormtroopers he does he goes into the room and the scientist is there he's like no no I don't I didn't want to do it you know he plays the innocent victim and he does Mando does spare him from killing him he's the only one he doesn't kill but he he takes baby Yoda and gets out of there takes out a few more stormtroopers on his way out Um, but then as soon as he walks out, he's walking down towards his ship. I don't know where, why he didn't just run or, you know, go the back way or something. Cause... Maybe go, yeah,
0: <laughs> out around the town instead yeah. of right down yeah.
2: Main Street.
1: Main Street. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, look what I got. Um, but as soon as he gets out, you know, all the other bounty hunters in the, in the village, their fobs start lighting up, you know. we got a new bounty, and it's the Mandalorian. So they they block the entrance. So I guess there's only one way in and out of the town. So they block it up and they surround him and grief cargos even there and he's like, "Hey, you got to you got to let the child go and if you're lucky, we'll spare your life too." But he doesn't. So he he tries he takes out a few of them, hides, get, he gets pinned down and he doesn't look like he's going to get out of that, um, even though he uses all his tricks. He uses all his, his flamethrower fuel. He uses his rifle that disintegrates beings, you know, people he uses that. But he still can't gain an advantage. So just when you think he's doomed, um, all the other Mandalorians just come out in mass, flying through the air, jumping down uh, from buildings and stuff and just are just mowing down all these other bounty hunters just shooting them. they got their missiles, uh, everything just laying, laying waste to them. So when you guys saw that for the first time, even today or yesterday when we watched it again, what what was your reaction? How about for you, uh, Nathan? seeing that for the first time? That was pretty cool. You know, obviously the first instinct was like, uh,
2: the first thing was to see them all wearing their jetpacks. And the first thought that popped in my head is, is why doesn't Mando have a jetpack?
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, but because it seems like every other single one of them did. And they're all flying around. But uh, clearly they're, they're experts at their craft because uh, they, I still think um, they were outnumbered, but they had no problem taking out, what you would presume are other professional bounty hunters, but clearly still nowhere near uh, the level of fighting that these guys are at because they start taking them out and this big battle ensues. Uh, and uh, it, it was pretty epic and a lot of marksman shooting, which I appreciated. You know, Mando's got his long rifle and he's taking those guys out, turning them into dust. So great scene, great sequence, a really great pace. Uh, Love to uh, really enjoyed it. Well, and you know,
0: whenever whenever you have that scene where the the cavalry comes at the, at the last moment and and, uh, and saves the day, that's always pretty fun and pretty exciting. You know, it kind of it kind of makes me think a little bit about that. You know, the 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 Mandalorian way, and, and you know that saying, "This is the way." I mean, for them to come up and stand beside him kinda of regardless, it, it kinda of shows how important that higher law is or that way of life is of the Mandalorian. So uh,
2: it's a pretty cool scene for sure. Yeah, and they they obviously but not obviously, but they revealed themselves, right? And up until this point they've been living in secret. And and we, we learn later on towards the end of the episode that you know that that this was this they by revealing themselves all together at once, it was more than just, you know, it had a, a bigger impact on, on on the covert, or uh, as they called them, uh, as they called their group, and uh, they were going to have to move it, and because their their secret was blown, uh, so so it shows, as you mentioned, Blake, just not only the dedication to each other, um, and that they have strength in numbers. And uh, but a willingness to make sacrifices uh, uh, for one another. So, yeah, and uh, some real team camaraderie there. Go team.
1: (laughs) Go Mando team.
2: Go team Mando. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was an amazing moment. I think there's been some similar scenes in uh, the Clone Wars and Rebels in the animated realm. But this is the first time we see this in live action. Uh, I think we saw we saw Boba Fett in *Return of the Jedi* kind of fly in with his jetpack in the, the '80s special effects. So, yeah, it was cool, but eh, it was very limited. It wasn't that amazing. And then we saw in Episode Two with Django Fett flying around in his backpack while he f- duelled and fought with Obi Wan on Kamino that was pretty momentous moment as well but we haven't seen something like this with multiple mandalorians with multiple jetpacks and you know just an army basically i don't know if it's an army but let's say a squad of mandalorians just coming in and taking care of business that was pretty epic um it was you know and i had always gotten the impression uh from
2: the return of the Jedi* that, that, that the jet pack had a very short lifespan. It was yeah. kind of like a, a boost or not something that you could fly around and just stay suspended in the air, but more or less something that just kind of boosted you from one area to another, uh, and was an added, uh, 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 benefit, but certainly nothing that you could just sit there and hover in the air for a long period of time. So this, and I'm sure that that has been shown in, in the animated series but I hadn't seen that uh, so it was cool to see that
1: yeah and we see the big uh, the big Mandalorian that was challenging uh, the main character he comes in and they you know he has no qualms just sitting there supporting Mando and even though he's basically revealed he broke I don't know if he broke the code we'll get into that in a minute but he made it so they have to leave, you know. Instead of being angry, he's like, Yep, we're here to support you. He's got that big Gatling gun. He's like, tch, 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 you know, just taking out guys left and right. And um, interesting fact is that guy, that character, was voiced by John Favreau, you know, the, the director or the creator of the show. So that was cool. I don't think it was him in the suit. That guy was a little large, so like taller than <laughs> Favreau is. So yeah. but definitely got the voice. So he's like, hey, Mando, get out of here. We'll, we'll take it from here. So he grabs the child and goes off to his ship to escape. And, of course, <laughs> there, you know there's always one more guy waiting for you know the hero, and it's Greef Karga this time. And he says, hey, you broke the code. I can't let you leave with, with the child. you got to leave him behind. And so Mando creates a diversion, and Greef Karga tries to shoot him, but he can't see him. And then Mando shoots him, and he goes flying. Grief Cargo goes flying out of the ship. And then um, Mando takes off with the child and escapes. And, of course, you know, Griefs, he's not dead. He sits up, and he's like, oh, pulls out his Beskar. And that's where the, the laser bolt hit him was in the Beskar, so he survived. So, Yeah. So that's great episode. sequence.
2: Great episode. You know, two things that I, you know— I thought of um, that I wanted to talk about was, you know, one, when when Mando is about to f- he's he's left the child there with the client and and the, the scientists and he's in his ship and he's about to leave, and then you know he's he's the ship's he's turned the engines on he's about to fly away and then of course it, he pauses and he decides to go back. Something that occurred to me is this is. I wonder if he couldn't help but feel like this was you know, uh, some empathy with the child because that, that was kind of the situation he was in. You know, his his village was attacked. His parents, you know, hit him in in a bunker, so to speak, and he was left all alone and scared as a child himself, and he was rescued. So I wonder if he felt didn't feel some empathy and couldn't help but feel like, what am I doing? You know, this is this is exactly what happened to me, and I was, I was left to the wolves. How can, I, how can I turn around and do this to this, to this, this child? And, and that's when he just commits himself to, to rescue. And, and there must be more to this than, than meets the eye because when he's up on the roof and he's overhearing the conversation uh, between the scientist and the client, you know, the, the, the client... Um, and it's kind of hard to hear, so I, re- I I put on the captions. But he basically, mm-hmm. they have they have a brief discussion, and the scientist is like, "No, we're supposed to deliver him alive," and and the client is like, "Get the material that you need," you know, and so so th- that brings up the opportunity, kind of what we may want to talk about, and that was is like, and and you I know you've brought this up before, Justin, but what what was the purpose, what was the scientist going to do? And I know that he had an emblem on his clothes that you know what that emblem represents um, because that was kind of the big discussion or that's part of the big discussion is is what were they gonna do with the child? Yeah,
1: Yeah, the emblem was from Camino, where the original clones were created. And you see the patch on the scientist's uh, uniform and it's the same patch that uh, the baby or the younger Boba Fett's, the clones of Jango Fett, what they had on their clothes. So it was some sort of Camino cloner uh, emblem. So that's why the you know, then the question is, okay, are they cloning baby Yoda or is baby Yoda a clone or, you know, what's going on? Maybe they're extracting the material to maybe look for how to, Clone Force users, or get the midi chlorians. I know people groan and roll their eyes at midi chlorians, but you know that that's an established canonical fact. <laughs> so maybe they're going to get the midi chlorians and create Force soldiers, or I don't know. That is the question. You know, where, what happens next? Yeah.
0: Um, well, and I. Well, and it's interesting. I was just going to say, you know, I mean, in earlier uh chapter. Or in the in chapter two, I guess it was, um, one of the droids was was about to uh, about to kill the child, right? Because it was dead or alive, kind of thing, right? And so it was a little interesting to hear him say, you know, that what they needed the child for was they needed him alive to kind of extract that. But before that, it was seemed like it was dead or alive. I that confused me just a little bit. Um,
2: yeah. And, well, and we and we learn however though that there's there is a third there there is a there's a a third party a, pup, a puppet master so to speak and that beyond this that has a character that hasn't been introduced yet that the client is potentially working for or perhaps maybe is a double agent of some sorts and is trying to get you know the client is trying to get the child but not deliver him to who he's who's who's asked him to get it for the purposes that he wants. And then he's like, "No, we're not going to deliver the child alive. Get the material and we're going to kill it." Because the scientists when the Mandalorian breaks into the room, he's like, "Hey, I kept him alive. He's alive because of me. Don't hurt me. He would have been dead." Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of little tidbits of information are shared to kind of, you know, lead you to be like there's there's
1: much bigger story here yeah
0: yeah something else going on
1: yeah, i hope that subplot is revealed and expanded upon uh in the next season hope it's not just dropped and they move on to something else because it's not overall it's not that important but it's it's pretty interesting to see how that plays out so um but yeah you know who who are who are they? Who's the client? This client is, sounds like he's a leader of that Imperial remnant cell there on that planet. But who is he? You know, why, why what are they doing there? That's one of the questions I hope is he doesn't get killed in this episode, even though all the other stormtroopers do, his soldiers, I guess. He doesn't. I mean, he shows up later in the, in the season. And the scientist, is he from Kamino? Is he working with the Kaminoans? common ones uh has he got his own agenda you know what i hope these questions are answered i don't want to see him dropped even if it's in a comic book or something at some point that'd be be yeah. really good to see i agree so any other interesting thoughts from you nate
2: no great episode really enjoyed it uh it really expanded on the seer- built up on added a whole new layer to the series and as a first time watcher um you know you i think it it really made uh brought a lot of excitement for where the series could go and so i really enjoyed it it was a great episode yeah. um and then as a side note uh admiral akbar is a mon calamari yes
1: that's it mon calamari <laughs> yep yeah mon cow one thing Blake brought up earlier, he has these different codes and rules that he's living by, the Mandalorian. And so I guess my question is, did he... First of all, the the episode's titled The Sin. So what is The Sin? Was it uh, breaking the bounty hunter code? And did he even break it? We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, was it the Mandalorian code of revealing themselves... Or is it something else? You know, the, You know, what is the sin? Yeah. What are you guys' thoughts?
0: Yeah, I mean, I tend to think it, it kind of leans more toward maybe the Mandalorian side of things. Because, you know, sin is usually uh, uh, related to religion or, or something Health, You know, more more closely you know like a religious type of belief versus a a bounty hunter code so i my first thought is that 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 it leans more toward you know perhaps uh his 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 role in exposing the mandalorians or or something like that but then at the end of it they're they're all there right next to him helping him escape and and so um yeah, that's that's a good question. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. yeah, I I tend to think the other way. I tend to think that. Well, I think it's both. I, I think the obvious answer is that he broke the the guild code, right? Because that seems to be brought up a lot in the episode. That that it's hey, you know, you don't ask, right? When he delivered the when he delivered the child, he's like, hey, you're you're you don't ask what we're what we're doing that's that's against the that's against the code and then when he goes to speak to um, you know the guy who hired him what's his name
1: grief karga
2: yeah when he goes to speak to grief karga he's like hey what are you going to do with the child he asks again and and he brings, says the same thing you know what do you care you know that's against the code but i i do think it kind of it does overlap And ultimately, there is obviously uh, some religious uh, connotation to the term sin. And whether Mandalorian is a religion or not, I don't know. Um, And I, I certainly, he personally didn't cause the covert to reveal themselves, but perhaps by him going back and stealing the child back away from the client and creating this situation where they had to defend they felt like they had to defend their brother in arms you know it was it was a sin but mm-hmm. yeah that's uh, it, i did at the at the beginning of the episode when they flashed the title uh, that is certainly something that i thought about myself was like what why are they calling this episode the sin that's weird
1: yeah, yeah i wondered did he really break the code though i think maybe questioning hey what are you going to do with this child it feels it seems like that was breaking the code but as far as you know he delivered his bounty he got paid he left the job was done so going back did he break the code i mean i think he had some insider information but did he break the codes he he went rogue basically so i don't yeah. know yeah he did the job and he got paid and then he came back and kind
2: of like a kind of like a drug deal gone bad well, right yeah
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: he delivered the goods and then he stole the goods back after yeah. getting the money. Yeah, so he's the yeah. Sonny Crockett. He's the Sonny of Crockett of Mandalorian. Yeah, you
0: yeah, have been watching a lot of Miami <laughs> So he Who's Crockett? Grief Carga. I mean, yeah,
1: uh, Who's Tubbs? It's got to be uh, Grief Carga, right? They were yeah. They end up working together later on. So.
2: They do, and and uh, which is you know, and obviously a whole nother topic, and which I was glad. I mean, I didn't think he died because I was like, but I, but not really being familiar with the series at this point, you weren't sure how ruthless they were going to be with killing off main characters. Um, so I was, I, I didn't think they killed him off. But I, you never know. So I was relieved to see that he was still alive and and that he plays, ultimately, as we know, he comes back in the series. Yeah. And he's in season two
1: as well. He's yeah, in the trailer.
2: So that's good yes, news. he was. Yeah. So, Speaking of which, what a great trailer.
1: Yeah. So good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm excited for it. So we see... We see him go to different planets, which I thought was good because although he does leave world, I think twice the initial episode where he goes to get the child and then the next episode he leaves and comes back. Oh, he does go back to, to the prison. So, yeah, so I guess he leaves a couple of times. But my point is, it'll be good to see in this new season the different worlds and see how they expand um, everything. Kind yeah, like after the...
2: Empire has fallen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. I'm excited to see that too. Well,
0: yeah, and, and I mean that you know you expect to see some some Jedi in, in the mix on this, as as that that seems to be one of the main you know underlying stories. So that'll be cool to see. Mm-hmm.
1: And in our review of the Empire Strikes Strikes Back for the 40th anniversary. Uh, Nathan and I talked about how The Empire Strikes Back expanded upon the original Star Wars by showing us new planets, going to new environments, and that enriched the saga at that time so much more. So I'm hoping this second season of The Mandalorian has that similar effect where, you know, we see more places, more groups, more organizations, and just, you know, expands everything, so... That'd be it's gonna be good. A lot of great scenes from that. There's rumors of Boba Fett is gonna be in that. Um, Ahsoka Tano from the Clone Wars will be in it. Um, so yeah, a lot of cool stuff. But uh, one thing I want to encourage everyone this episode revealed a little bit more of the Mandalorian culture that we hadn't been exposed to before. Uh, encourage everyone to go back and rewatch the or watch for the first time. Episodes of the Clone Wars that deal with Mandalorians were introduced for the first time in a show, even though it's animated, um, the Mandalorians, where they live. And even John Favreau makes an appearance in, in that, in those episodes. He voices one of the main characters in that, in those episodes. So he's, he's been involved. So for this show, it's executive produced by John Favreau and Dave Filoni. And both those guys were involved with the Clone Wars. Dave Filoni was one of the producers for the Clone Wars, was heavily involved in creating this Mandalorian culture, storyline with George Lucas himself. That seems to, it continued throughout the Clone Wars, bled over into Rebels, the another animated series. And now it's in, you know, this show, The Mandalorian, this live action show, so if you have some time, I encourage you guys to go back and watch those episodes of the Clone Wars that deal with the Mandalorians and, you know, follow that timeline all the way through to, to this show. I think you'll pick up, it brings up the dark saber, which um, comes into play later in episode eight, I believe. So definitely worth your time. So we'll review coming up next we'll review chapter four sanctuary where we find out where the mandalorian and baby yoda escape to what they do uh, what happens next basically so we'll we'll revisit that and review that here shortly so we want to thank you guys for for joining us here on this review of chapter three this sin and definitely um Check us out on social media. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just do a search for Credible Nerds, and you'll find us there. Join us there. Join in on the conversation. We're posting stuff about all kinds of different uh, universes and franchises. Not only do we cover Star Wars, but we even cover Star Trek, we cover Marvel, DC, all kinds of nerdy stuff. So we're always posting stuff, talking about different franchises. So if you have a favorite one, definitely check us out. We'll probably be talking about it at some point. Unless you're a Doctor Who fan, uh, we don't uh, really do Doctor Who. <laughs> Sorry. That's one of the few franchises that I, ju- I just can't get into. So we won't be talking Doctor Who. Sorry, guys. But um, everything else is fair game. So, yeah, definitely check us out on social media and stay tuned for the next episode. So thanks for joining us, guys. And we'll meet you at the Twilight Healing Baths with a Camtono of Spice. See ya, bring your own spice. Yeah, maybe bring the spice. Did you ever watch The Mandalorian?
3: Oh, yes. Okay. Blown away. Can't wait till the next season.
1: I know. It's awesome.
3: Uh, can't wait till the uh, Razor Crest comes out in Legos.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: In September. Yeah. That's going to be cool. Uh, yeah. It's like, blown away. I mean, just... I don't... Um, there's... Uh, in the 40K universe, my favorite author actually writes more about, like, the side stories and life in you know, the galaxy um, from, from like that side perspective and other people's stories. And that's what I liked about the Mandalorian is it's, it's, it's not the central story. It's not the most important thing that's going on, but it's super cool anyways.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I hope they do more than that. More of that, whether it's whoever it is, I hope they do more of that.
3: Even the Cassian Andor series, I think, will be like that, right? Yeah. It's a side story. It's not the main story. It's a side story about one dude and the stuff he does. And it can be really, really cool. Because yeah. he was a cool character. A- yeah,
1: I think they needed the movies, focus with the movies, just do like the big stories, the galactic events. And then the Disney Plus shows are just, like you said, the, these side stories. I think it's the best. Those are interesting.
3: To- yeah. Um, and you can do you can make them last too if you want yeah they can last for seven seasons um because you know galactic events aren't going to ex- you know extend for you know 20 or 10 episodes a season for 10 you know, 70 episodes yeah that's just silly yeah but all the other stuff can
1: yeah uh, uh, the, the the fallout from these events or the lead-up to these
3: events right yeah
1: hopefully they uh, figure well, have it you,
3: out have you seen that fan film about the last stormtrooper on Endor?
1: Yeah, I think you shared it with me, and I watched it. It's,
3: it's just stuff like that. It's just cool little snippets. It doesn't have to be grands, and it's just cool. You can watch it for a few minutes, and you're just like, "Holy smokes!" <laughs> yeah. Well, they showed it forever ago, right? With troops. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I would watch a whole episode on, uh, you know, like that on troops. Uh, which I is stormtroopers.
1: They, they should do a stormtrooper, like just the normal stormtrooper guy in his experience throughout the the original trilogy. Make it funny in some parts. Make it serious. Make it. That would know, be he, cool. He wants to defect, but he can't, or you know, so whatever.
3: There was a fan film back in the '90s, um, and it was stormtroopers on some kind of industrialized worlds. And there was only a single episode and they get in some firefight with bounty hunters. They're trying to break up like uh, some kind of smuggling deal. But you see the stormtroopers as the good guys in that. Yeah. You know, the law enforcement trying to, you know, keep the bad guys from breaking the law. Um, it was really well done for the time. Hmm. Um, I don't remember the name of it anymore. Uh, it's probably on some old hard drive I have too. But just yeah. like that, I would watch the stormtroopers as the good guys. Yeah, that'd be cause cool. Because it flips everything on the on its head.
1: Yeah.
3: Because, yeah. I mean, even the Mandalorian they did, right? Boba Fett was was fearsome and bad in the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. Like, you can tell. Um, I mean, when Vader tells him no disintegrations, like, oh, this guy blows people up all the time just for fun. Yeah. Uh, but then you see the Mandalorian, and he's a good guy. He's a tarnished good guy, but he's doing what's right. Yeah. Uh, so, it'd be fun to flip it around, have the Stormtroopers as the good guys. Yeah. Because that one, even that one uh, scene with the with the storm or the, the scout troopers when they're yeah. smacking Baby Yoda and then trying to shoot the can that's like five feet away and can't hit it. And yeah. uh, that was great TV right there.
1: Yeah. That was something that we hadn't seen before. Right. In, any of the movies or anything. So, yeah.
3: I'm down for it.